Well, if you were at the Wild Game uh, feed or if you uh, were here for the Sunday School Hour earlier at 9, uh, you've already been blessed by our next speaker. I'm, I'm incredibly excited that he's here. Uh, very excited for everything that he has to communicate. 49 years of experience as a professional evangelist uh, all over the world. Uh, his, his organization, Evantel, has been an incredible impact on my life personally. We use their tracks. Uh, any of the evangelism training that I do is going over their training that he has designed personally himself. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very excited to have him here. But if you would, please welcome Dr. Larry Moyer. Well, good morning. I've been telling the folks all weekend that although I now live in Dallas, Texas, I was born and raised on a dairy farm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And so I love getting back to the northern part of our country, and it's such a delight to be here with you. I sincerely appreciate the all the kind introduction that Jeremy gave me. When you travel as a speaker, you get every introduction under the sun, but they're not always good news. Some time ago, I speak up in Michigan for a week-long conference, and the pastor got up on opening night. What he actually wanted to say to people was, no matter he came on Saturday, we'll be here, he'll be here all week. We are so excited about that. Then he'll be leaving us next Saturday. But he was a pastor who had a reputation for getting tongue-tied in the pulpit. And sure enough, he introduced me. What he said the packed house was, Larry Cameron Saturday, he'll be here all week. He's leaving us next Saturday, and we are so excited about that. <laughs> so I so appreciate all the kind introduction. But as I told the folks last night, and I don't mind telling you, there is no one who steps on a platform anywhere in the country, in the world, any more grateful to God than I do. Because I never have the time to give my life story. But I was born with an inherited speech defect, inherited from my dad's side of the family. That was so severe, I could not pronounce the word T-H-E, duh. And therefore, medical doctors told me to give up all hope of ever being a public speaker. One day, seeing high school with my head between my hands so no one could see I was crying. Because I had just been ridiculed what seemed like the 500th time. I told God, if you will help me with this inherited defect, I will always use my voice for you. And starting that week, I started having a control I'd never had in my entire life. And that was the year speech therapy brought me to where I am today. But when you come from that kind of background, one way it impacts you is you never take one opportunity for granted. It does not matter if the audience of five or an audience of 50,000. Because if we're not for what the grace that God has done in my life, I could not step on any platform anywhere in the world. And it's such a delight to be here with you. But I would be awfully remiss if I did not take a moment and tell you how much I've enjoyed working with Mike for our Wild Game Feast. I've been in evangelism for 49 years, but back in 2009, someone said to me, why are you not speaking Wild Game Feast? You'd be a natural. You came to Christ through hunting. You're an avid hunter. You've had great success. I said, because I have no burden for Christian hunters. Because all the ones I knew of, they did for the men in their church. And I, they said, why don't you devise an outreach for unbelievers? And God would not let me go about it. And it's become one of the most effective things we've done. Our biggest problem everywhere we go is a big enough facility for the crowds. I just came back from Kansas. We were set for 550. They had 650 there. And uh, we are having a great response. But there's no cookie-cutter wild game feast. they all different in some way. So once a month, four months out, I'm on the phone with the man in charge helping to guide them through the preparation because there's no cookie-cutter wild game feast. And when pastors ask me, who do you need to work with? I say, I need someone who can lead and someone who can be led. 
because they make the ideal person to work with. They can lead and be led. And Mike was that person. He could lead, but he could also be led. And I cannot tell you what delight he's been to work with. And I think you all give him another round of applause for the job that he and his people have done. Now, he did not pay me to say that. If he decides he wants to give me something after the service, that's entirely up to him. But I have thoroughly enjoyed being with him and also with you. But this morning, I want to ask and answer a question. I have found when people think in terms of spiritual things, it's one of the first questions that come to their mind. And that is, what do you have to do to meet the interest requirements for heaven? What do you have to do to meet the interest requirements for heaven? And if you have your Bible, I'd like you to take it and turn to one of the shortest but most meaningful paragraphs in the Bible, or you can pull that outline out of the bulletin that you got when you came in, because that has the outline also the passage I'm going to speak from. But when you have a Bible in front of you, turn to me, Luke chapter 18. I'd like to start reading at the 15th verse. Luke chapter 18, I'd like to start reading at verse 15. I want you to leave for the day knowing where God said first, while I'm simply going to repeat. So when you have a Bible in front of you, or you have that outline in front of you, look at Luke 18, I like the beginning reading of verse 15. Luke 18, and beginning at the 15th verse. Then they also brought infants to him they might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, let little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. If you know anything at all about human nature, then you know we have a way of making everything in life so much more difficult than it ever needs to be. And if there is a way of keeping something simple, we immediately avoid it. And if there is a way of making something complicated, we are immensely attracted to it. And that ability to make life complicated permeates every aspect of our life. Now, for example, next year on the Lord's good hand, my wife and I will celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. And the other night I said to her, honey, if you had to do it over again, would you still marry me? She said, sure, honey if I had to do it again. <laughs> but we met on a triple blind date at the Texas State Fair, myself and three girls. I mean, three guys and three girls. And we were going to the Texas State Farm, we, to the cattle barn, Texas State Fair. We came to this Holstein cow. Now, I have to understand something. I was born and raised on a dairy farm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Not only was my wife not raised on a dairy farm, but she's one of the kindest sweetest, most loving, understanding, trusting, and for that reason, gullible individuals you'd ever want to meet. And we were going through the cattle barn, Texas A Fair, we came to this hosting cow. I looked at him and I said, wow, they sure did a lousy paint job on that one, didn't they? She said, what do you, what do you mean? I said, you mean you've never had anybody explain it to you? When cows are born as calves, they're all born the same color. And then the farmer paints them whatever color he wants. Holsteins are always painted black and white because the farmer was in black and white. Guernseys are always painted brown and white because the farmer was in brown and white. And she looked at me in complete innocence and honesty said, I have never had anybody explain that to me before. <laughs> well, when she found out what I had done to her, she decided to marry me because she could not stand the thought of another woman being plagued with me for the rest of her life. But as I tore that day, we take everything in life 
having to make it so much more difficult than it ever needs to be. But that is exactly what we do. Can you imagine how shocked our great, great, great grandparents would have been if they would have known that by 2022, we'd be living in homes that are so expensive, you have to carry fire insurance so the thing burns down and you able to replace it. That we'd be living in homes that are so full of electricity that just two hour touch of the wrong place, the entire thing will be reduced to bonfire. That we would take a shower in water that can be made so hot, it will peel the skin right off your southern hemisphere. That we would drive through intersections that are so crowded that if just one car makes the wrong turn, our entire vehicle will be redesigned. That we would go to work and be so dependent on a car that one bell sips off a pulley will be sitting by the highway waiting for a mechanic again and get there for two days that we would heat up our lunch in a microwave, that we are told if the door around the microwave does not seal properly, it will destroy the tissues around our heart, that we would be so dependent on a computer that if something gives up the ghost, we'll be high on our work by two weeks. Now, please don't misunderstand. I don't want you to think I have a negative outlook on life. <laughs> I just think it's important to realize how complicated things have become because how difficult we have made life. That's why I love this where the man went to Brickyard for a load of bricks. And as soon as he got there, he said the first person saw how much are the bricks. And instead of giving him a simple answer, man said, well, if you buy this many, they're this much, you buy this many, they're this much, you buy this many, they're this much. And the one who was so frustrated, he could not get a simple answer, looked at him and said, then in that case, just keep pointing the truck till they're all free. <laughs> we have a way of taking everything in life and making it so much complicated than it ever needs to be. But not only do we do that in the area of the material, we also do it in the area of the spiritual. I'm convinced there are those sitting right here today, you'd love to know beyond any doubt when you die, you're going straight to heaven. No pain, no problem, no sickness or suffering. But you say, I don't think that's possible. I've done too many things wrong. I have not been good enough. Some time ago, a man confessed to me, he would love to know when he died, he's going straight to heaven. But I said, I've given up on the possibility. I said, why is that? He said, as soon as I do good in this area, I goof up over here. Well, you might be interested in knowing that if you want to know beyond any doubt when you die going to heaven, there are not five conditions God makes of you. There's not four, three, even two. There's only one. And Jesus Christ explained what that was at a time. He was just a little bit irritated with the disciples. If you know anything at all about the late heavy fighter, Muhammad Ali, you know he has never struggled with his self-image. <laughs> He'd convinced it's hard to be humble as he was so great. And one day he was on a plane flight. As the plane was about to take off, the flight attendant said, please buckle your seatbelt. He looked her and he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she was so ticked off by his arrogance, she looked at him and said, Superman don't need no airplane, buckle up. <laughs> well, the disciples didn't have a problem with arrogance. At the same time, they could be a little bit irritating. Look at verse 15. Then he also brought infants to him, he might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Now, don't be surprised by the first part of that verse. They also brought infants to him. Because these were people who had been helped by Christ or knew someone who had been. And whenever you've been helped by someone like Christ, you know he can help those closest to you. For example, there are those who are having a struggle with discouragement. Always take no encouragement for you to jump right off the cliff. But if you might cry to find answer to discouragement, 
He's told you it's for you. If he convinced you that you'd be convinced you can help those closer to you. Some are here and you don't feel like you've lost a friend. You feel like you've never had one. But if you met Christ, you find out why they call him a friend of sinners. When you saw it for you, you'd be convinced you could help those closer to you. Some are here and you're wondering what life's all about. You would agree with the person who said, life is a story told by an idiot. It means absolutely nothing. But if you met Christ, you'd find life at a capital L. When you saw it for you, you'd be convinced you could help those closer to you. And that's why it says they also brought up to him. Because these were ones who had been helped by Christ or knew somebody had been. And whenever you've been helped by someone like Christ, you're convinced he can help those closest to you. But besides that, on the first anniversary of a child's birth, a parents would bring the child to the rabbi so he could bless them. And apparently these parents felt, nobody can bless my child the way Christ can. And for that reason, they brought the infant to him. These were so small they probably had to be carried. Luke does not call them teenagers. Luke calls them infants. But the unfortunate thing is, there are always those who just cannot get their priorities straight. Since I now live in Dallas, Texas, there are many times I travel, especially this time of the year. People say to me, are you a Dallas Cowboy fan? I'm answering, yes, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. Except when I'm in Wisconsin, <laughs> when I'm a Green Bay fan. <laughs> but you cannot live in Dallas and not be a Dallas Cowboy fan. You can die there for not being one, but you cannot be there and not be them. And years ago, the Dallas Cowboys played the Washington Redskins in what was to be the last playoff game of the season. If they won that game, the Cowboys would go straight to the Super Bowl. Well, a Dallas paper told about a couple living in Dallas who was being married on that day, January 30th, the day of the Super Bowl. Super Bowl was started at 5 o'clock. The range would take place at 6. 150 guests had been invited. But when it became obvious that Dallas Cowboys might go to the Super Bowl, one by one the bride received the disappointing news as guest after guest called and gave one sick reason after another why they might not be able to attend. She thought she'd get some sympathy from her aunt, so she went to her only to find out she was an avid Dallas Cowboy fan who suggests they put deep sets all around the living room and pull off the wedding to halftime. Then her father called from San Antonio and seriously hinted about the fact if the Cowboys went to the Super Bowl, her mother might have to walk her down the aisle instead of him. Then they had agony to grief her own husband to be called and said under no conditions would he marry anybody in the middle of the Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl. Well, fortunately for her, the Redskins solved her whole problem <laughs> by defeating the Dallas Cowboys. And since the Cowboys have had lousy years of football, couples had wonderful years of marriage. <laughs> and there are always those who just can't get their priorities straight. And the disciples were apparently part of those because they felt the bother Christ with children was just a waste of time. Look at verse 15. Then he also brought up his tomb. He might touch them. And the disciples saw it. They rebuked them. What they must have said is, don't bother him with your kids. Now, the only thing I regret is the Bible tells me what his top said to the parents. I would give anything to know what the parents said to the disciples. As some of us know, if a game is tied at the end, it goes in a thing called sudden death, in which the one that scores first is the one that wins. Well, one time in the middle of a church service, a boy said to his mom, Mom, is this service going into overtime? And she looked at him and said, Yes, son. And if you do not sit still, it's going to be sudden death. 
That's probably what the parents are like saying, not to the kids, the disciples. You're so worried about overtime. But if he does not get to bless my child, you're going to experience firsthand sudden death. But frankly, it's not what the parents and disciples are mattering. It's what could not matter any less. It's what Christ is disciples. That could not matter anymore. Look at verse 16. But Jesus called them and said, Let little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Now, as simply as I know to put what you're saying, what he was saying is, let little children come to me. Don't keep them back. That's what my kingdom's all about. Now, can you imagine how shocked this apple must have been? Because if anything, they always thought they were inside looking out. Others were on the outside looking in. Now they find out, if anything, they're on the outside looking in. Kids are on the inside looking out. But there's a good chance now one person understood one thing he said. So putting it away, nobody understood. He put it away, nobody could misunderstand. Look at verse 16. But Jesus called to him and said, Let the children come to me and not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. As simply as I know to put it, what he is saying is, Let them come to me, again, so keep them back. That's what my kingdom is all about. But again, apparently they still did not understand what he meant. So having put in the words, Nobody understood. He put in words nobody could misunderstand. I love the story of the running back that went to the hospital to once again see his new baby boy. As soon as he walked in, he said to his wife, let me hold him. She said, not on your life. He acted like he had been tackled in the backfield. So he said, why not? And she said, because I've seen you carry the football and you fumbled too much. Now, if she did not, he did not understand what he said the first time. She cannot misunderstand what he said the second. And if they did not understand what he said the first time, they cannot misunderstand what he said the second. Look at verse 17. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Please note, he did not say, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, it's doubtful he'll make it. Never said that. He did not say, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, had no chance of getting in. Never said that. He did not say, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, no child, has some possibility of being there. He never said that. He said, and I quote, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, will by no means enter it. And as simply as I can put it, the main idea of the paragraph is, you can come to Christ at any age you want. But when you come, you have to come to child. You can come to Christ age 98. When you come, you have to come to child. You can come to Christ age 42. But when you come, you have to come to child. You can come to Christ the most respected person in the state of Wisconsin. When you come, you have to come to child. You can come to Christ the most religious person in Portage. But when you come, you have to come to child. You can come to Christ as a faithful father or loving mother. When you come, you have to come to child. You can come to Christ at any age you want. But when you come, you have to come to child. Because, you see, there are two things that characterize children. They're undoubtedly what he has in mind. But there are the two things everybody knows. The first thing that characterizes a child is they have the humility to admit 
I am a sinner. I want to ask you something. How many times have you ever heard a child say, I've done a lot of things right in my time. <laughs> How many times have you ever heard a child say, I'm not half as bad as a lot of folks I know. <laughs> How many times have you ever heard a child say, I consider myself a religious individual. <laughs> How many times have you ever heard a child say, I've not missed an Easter Sunday in nine years. <laughs> no, instead, they so see themselves as sinners that sometimes they take the blame for things they wouldn't have to take the blame for. One time during an earthquake in California, a grandmother was so concerned about her grandson. As the ceiling was cracking and the walls were shaking, she ran to the back door. She said, Johnny, Johnny. He said, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. But the older we get, the more we grow in our profession, and the greater our income, sometimes the more conceited we are. One time a sports writer went to New York City and took a new job as a sports writer for their local newspaper. He had been there for about a month. He and his wife decided to take in a local movie. And although there were only about 10 or people present, as soon as he walked in the room, the lights blinked one off and everybody applauded. He looked at his wife. He said, I, I, I had no idea. I was so famous so fast. Well, after the movie was over, he walked up to one of the people there. And he said, I'm surprised. People up here already know me. He said, for as far as I know, they don't. I don't even know who you are. And the man said, then why is it? As soon as I walked in, the lights blinked all off. Everybody applauded. And he said, because the manager said, Five minutes before you came. Now, as soon as two more people come, we will start the movie. And we become so arrogant, so conceited. And one reason why I say, except you become a child, is you have to have the money to admit, I am a sinner. And that's one reason Christ said, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Because you have to come to admit you're a rebellious, stubborn sinner. And all it takes is one sin to separate you forever from the presence of God. And the first reason Christ sake, except you come as a child, is you have that humility to admit, I'm a sinner. There's a second thing Christ had in mind. There's a second thing characterizes children. And the second thing he had in mind is that children are characterized by a simple trust. One time in Hardham, there was a young girl on the top floor of a burning building. And in that tight spot, Fireman could not get a ladder between the buildings to extend up to her. And she could not get her to jump into a net she did not see. Just then her father arrived, and through the bullhorn, he shouted her to jump. Not only did she jump, but she was so relaxed in that three-story fall, she never broke a bone or injured a muscle. And the second thing characterizes a child is a simple trust. And the second reason Christ sake, except you come as a child, is you just have to simply come as a sinner. And place your trust in Christ alone, nothing else, as your only way to heaven. That's why one of the best-known sentences in the Bible says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever believe, trust in him alone, as your only way to heaven, shall not perish, but everlasting life. And you have to trust in Christ alone, because he's the one who paid for all your sins by dying for you. He died in your place. He was your substitute. They punished him where they should have punished you, where they should have hung me. And he died in our place. I sure hope there's someone here who's not missed it. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's the most touching story ever told in Time magazine. It's about Karen Sykoski, 
from Clear Ridge, Pennsylvania, who had taken a wagon load of clippings underneath an electrical wire fence when it snapped, wrapped around her elbow, knocked her to the ground. Her seven-year-old girl, Tara, extremely brilliant, was standing nearby saw it all happen. She first of all told her three-year-old sister, stand back and don't come close. Then a Time magazine civilly told her, Tara took the rubber skin off her foot, knocked the wire off her mother's neck, but, uh, elbow. But in so doing, the wire wrapped around Tara's ankle. The other end touched her head. The circuit was completed. Tara was electrocuted. But she saved her mom by dying for her. She died in her place. The Bible is saying that Jesus Christ came in the world. He took your sin and my sin. Placed upon himself. He died in our place. He was our substitute. And the third day he rose again. And therefore you have to simply come to God as a sinner. Recognize Christ died for you. And place your trust in Christ alone. Nothing else. As your only way to heaven. But the older we get. We think God ought to accept us on the basis of our baptism, our behavior, our conduct, our catechism, our deeds, our devotion, our goodness, our good works. Children don't do that. It's adults who do it. And that's the reason sometimes there's a lot less people come to Christ after 20 years of age because it's so difficult for us to come as a child. And the reason Christ said, except you come as a child, is you have to have the humility to admit, I am a sinner. And you have to put your trust in Christ alone, nothing else. Not Christ plus your good life. Not Christ plus your church attendance. Not Christ plus your sacraments. But Christ alone as your only way to heaven. And what the paragraph is saying is, you can come to Christ any age you want. But when you come, you have to come to child. What do you have to do to meet the entrance requirements for heaven? Christ reduces it to four words. Come as a what? Child. Humbly admitting you're a sinner and trusting Christ alone, nothing else, as your only way to heaven. There are people in heaven that are served as presidents in the United States, and people in heaven that are served as plumbers and preachers, people in heaven that are served as executive assistants. And people in heaven are served as efficient store clerks. But there's going to be one common denominator about them, and that is when they came to Christ, they came as a child. Because you can come to Christ at any age you want. When you come, you have to come to what again? Child. Humbly admitting you're a sinner and trusting Christ alone as your only Wait heaven. And the point is, we have made everything in life so complicated. Well, the way to heaven is not complicated. You can come to Christ any age you want. But when you come, you have to come to what? Child. Humbly admitting you're a sinner and trusting Christ alone as your only way to heaven. Some time ago, I spoke in Anchorage, Alaska. And while there, I read a newspaper, a story that so illustrates what God wants us to know. A woman had a son by the name of Walker. It was time for his first day of school. So she took her son Walker to the bus stop. She asked a boy who had babysat for him to see he got to school okay. The boy consented to do so. Then at the end of the day, she went to the bus stop 
greet her son Walker as he got off the bus. But the bus came, bus left. No Walker. Scared, worried, apprehensive. As anyone here, parent or no parent, understands. She ran home as fast as low legs could carry her. Only to find out. The teacher had already called to show her. Walker was okay. He was there with her. And then she explained what happened. She said, as all the students were lined up to get on the school bus, somebody made the comment, bus riders stand here. Walkers stand over here. All he did was follow directions, and he missed the bus. Oh, for that simple faith of a child, just to take a person at his word. One more thing for sure. Those who come to Christ have simple faith, humbly being their sinners, trusting him alone as their only way to heaven, will not miss out on heaven. But those who can't, will. Because Christ could not have said it any more emphatically than he did. Assuredly, I'm telling you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as an old child, under no conditions, have with no exception. Get in. Now I admit, I would not have made it that simple. I would not provided that free. But then, I don't love you the way he does. And because he loves us, he provides it simple. He keeps it simple and provides it free. What do you have to do to meet the entrance requirements for heaven? You can come to Christ any age you want. But when you come, have to come to what? God. He loves us. He kept it simple. Provides it free. Let's bow our heads and pray. This morning, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to ask everybody here the most important question I'll be asked. I trust I can call yourself myself your friend. And here's my question from your friend. If you were to die right now, do you know beyond any doubt you go straight to heaven? If you die right now, you know beyond any doubt you go straight to heaven. My concern is there could be those here this morning who say, Larry, somehow I missed it. I've never completely understood it before. It's simple trust in Jesus Christ as your only way to heaven that secures you in his presence forever. You know what's exciting? You could trust Christ right there we are right now. Right there we are. Jesus Christ could become your personal Savior. In a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. The kind of prayer you can use. If right now you want to tell God you're trusting Christ. Now, saying this prayer doesn't save. It's trusting Christ. Prayer is only how you tell God what you're doing. Well, if right now you want to trust Christ, this is how you can tell God that. Just in the quietness of your seat, the privacy of your heart. Dear God, I come to you now, and I admit I'm a sinner. Go ahead, tell God that. I admit I'm a sinner. Nothing I am or do makes me deserving of heaven. Tell God that. Nothing I am or do makes me deserving of heaven. But I now understand Jesus Christ died for me. Tell God that. I now understand Jesus Christ died for me.
He took my place and punishment and rose again the third day. Tell God that. He took my place and punishment and rose again the third day. And right now, God, sitting in this seat this morning, I place my trust in Christ as my only way to heaven. I trust you as my personal Savior. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life I just this morning received. Now, as heads bowed, eyes are closed, and I say two things. If you sat there in your seat and sincerely trusted Christ, the Bible, not Larry, the Bible says God just gave you free the gift of eternal life. Everything you do from this morning out is a thank you letter to God for what he just did today. May I encourage you, live the rest of your life as a thank you letter to God. Let him week by week take out of your life what should not be there and put in what should be there. Secondly, don't be ashamed or embarrassed to tell anybody. I trusted Christ today. He cried down and crawled. He's not ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed to tell anybody. I trust Christ today as my personal Savior. Live the rest of your life as a thank you letter to God. And don't be ashamed to tell anybody. I trust Christ today as my personal Savior. He was not ashamed of you. Don't be ashamed of him. Our gracious Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. When you devised the way to heaven, you did not ask for our advice. Because we would have made it so complicated. But you loving in a way we never thought of loving. Made it so simple. Our one speaking tongue. Lord, we pray for those who trust you today. They might not be ashamed to say so. May the rest of their life be a thank you letter to you. Lord, those of us who have known you for some time, we're about to end 2022. Again, 2023, could you remind us that the only thing we can take with us to heaven is a friend? Instead of living the life for all the things that 100 years will not matter, help us live it for the people we be with. We ask in Jesus' name and thanksgiving. Amen. May I ask all of us to do something right now to be a big help those who made this special time possible. We're going to give you a card, a card, a communication card. What's so helpful in something like this, know how many were here, where they were from, what age they represent. Would you be so kind to take a moment and fill out that card? Don't separate them, just keep them together. But take a moment, fill out that card. And if you trusted Christ this morning, whatever you do, don't miss what I'm going to say. If you trusted Christ this morning, say, Larry, I trust Christ today and I meant it. Would you put a check mark in the upper right hand corner so we can see you get a copy of a book I wrote just for you? 31 days of living as a new believer. The 31 things I wish you told me that night on a dairy farm in Pennsylvania when I trusted Christ. Salvation is not the stopping point. It's the starting point. God wants you to grow now. It's exciting to come to Christ. It's 10 times more exciting to grow as a Christian. And we'd like to help you grow. So if you trusted Christ today, say, Larry, I've not understood this before. I trust Christ today. And I meant it. I was sincere. Put a check mark in the upper right-hand corner. So we can see you get a copy of the book, 31 Days of Living as a New Believer, help you start growing as a Christian. But they're going to come now and give you the communication cards and take a moment right now and fill those out. And then 
Once you've they fill them out, then pass them to the aisle. Please print very carefully and hard, hard with your pen or pencil to go through the carbon. But take a moment and fill that out. Once you've done that, again, pass them right back to the aisle. And just about five minutes, they'll come back collected. One more time. If you trusted Christ today, say, Larry, I'm not going to this before. I trust Christ today in a minute. Put a check mark in the upper right-hand corner. You can see you get a copy of Three Living as a New Believer to help you grow as a Christian. But thank you for helping us help you in that way.